In underworld circles, I think telling someone they're marked is a very serious threat. I'm not sure. I need to go back and rewatch some old Sopranos episodes, maybe. But it's very weird language coming from an Australian senator, isn't it? G'day and welcome to episode two of series two of The Other Side Australia. I'm Damien Curry, and this is your weekly wrap of the news in around 40 minutes every Friday that will keep you up to date on the big things that you need to know from the week. And of course, we challenge the usual assumptions of Australia's old media. We have a different worldview to what's dominant in Australian old media and public conversations right now. We believe that government isn't meant to be our parent or guardian, that we're meant to take responsibility and look after ourselves, and that we must actively work to keep government small, or it will continue to grow all by itself and become a monster, and we'll lose our wealth and freedom. Good old traditional classical liberal values, that's all they are. Free people operating in a free society, usually leading to the best outcomes, and that's what made Australia great, and we'll keep it that way, we hope. So, if you're new to the show and you've never seen this before, welcome. And even if you disagree with us, you're especially welcome. I hope you enjoy the ride of having your views challenged a bit. It's a good intellectual exercise, it's good for the soul, and it's good fun, actually. So, welcome. Well, welcome back to The Other Side Australia. Well, by now, almost everyone has seen the latest round of appalling behaviour of Senator Lydia Thorpe. The woman who was elected as a Green resigned from the party and now sits as an independent in the Australian Senate. But there are a couple of twists to this story that I think we need to think carefully about. First though, I, I guess we've got to show you that video again. Lydia Thorpe last weekend at around 3am outside a strip club in Melbourne where she'd been out with friends at a 50th birthday party. It was Channel 7 that broke the story Monday. Early this morning, outside a strip club in Melbourne. You know what I say? You know what I say to you? Shut up. You know what I say to you? And you? You're a racist You're a racist Independent Senator Lydia Thorpe and her friends out to celebrate her 50th birthday. You had me! Say that! A filmed arguing with a group of men. All I want to say to the Black Brothers there, and anyone that we fight, any black man that stands with the White little like that, you can all get too. How the <laughs> did someone get in Parliament like you? We've been oppressed all our life oh, in this country, and you let and this little dog. Be Senator Thorpe also taking matters into her own hands. And you, you are marked. Get out of my face. I like to tell my kids, don't be a snob, don't look down on other people, but also have a bit of class, have a bit of self-respect, and try to behave like a decent human being most of the time. There's a difference between being a good, down-to-earth person and ending up in the gutter. Of course, being of the modern political far left, Lydia is always the victim. So there was zero remorse for any of this behaviour. Lydia Thorpe has told Seven News that she was provoked, that the men singled her out and began to harass her over her views on Indigenous affairs. She says it's sad people are utilising whatever they can to drag her down when we're trying to discuss important issues in this country. Hmm. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has urged Senator Thorpe to get some support, telling Sydney Radio, quote, I think that level of behaviour is quite clearly unacceptable and I think there are obvious issues that need to be dealt with in terms of her health issues. These are not the actions of anyone who should be participating in society in a normal way, let alone a senator. No kidding, Prime Minister. But I think a lot of commentators are missing some pretty serious points about this incident. Sure, it's a bit of a laugh, but after we've stopped chuckling at her appalling behaviour, we need to examine a few things more closely. Security footage of the incident, exclusively obtained by Daily Mail Australia earlier this week, seems to suggest that there was very little provocation involved. Thorpe can be seen returning to the men, completely unprovoked, several times. Go, once. Uh, all right. How do you get in? Oh, no. Then, a bit more to say. Change my mind. <laughs> and we're going to have another go. Here we go. Did you push him? I don't know. And oh, another so go. That's another go. Number two. 
And then, but she's back again. She's back and again. there's the finger pointing. And she was she was provoked. Yeah, yeah these guys yeah. haven't moved off the wall. They have yeah. not moved. <laughs> these guys were extremely restrained, and I can't help but wonder what would happen on social media if this were a white male senator from the Liberal Party over about 40 years of age. I don't think he'd have a job and there'd be cries for his resignation from everyone within two seconds flat. Mm, is she or not? Oh no, I think she comes back and starts photographing everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, typical pe behavior of a belligerent drunk. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm gonna show you. Sort of entitled, yeah, exactly. You don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't know who these guys are that are talking over this security video, but they're great. So it looks like Lydia may have decided to call it a night. But wait, there's more. She gets out of the car and starts taking pictures or video of all the men that she has just abused. Again, could you imagine if the gender roles were reversed here, what kind of outcry there would be? Amusing. But as I said, there is a very serious side to this, which we all really should be focusing on a lot more. And it involves this part. What does that mean? In underworld circles, I think telling someone they're marked is a very serious threat. I'm not sure. I need to go back and rewatch some old Sopranos episodes, maybe. But it's very weird language coming from an Australian senator, isn't it? As Channel 7's Jennifer Bashwadi noted in her original story, it's not the first controversy for Lydia. Last month, she was dragged to the floor by police during a protest outside Parliament. In February, she held up the Sydney Mardi Gras. There was this at an anti-monarchy protest in Melbourne. The crown has blood on their hands! And her alleged relationship with a bikey boss, which she later denied. What? kind of person do you think I am? Yeah, what sort of person do you think I am, you bloody racists? You are marked. One Nation Senator Pauline Hanson has called for police to investigate Thorpe's little weekend antics. I think Victoria Police should be carefully examining that footage to determine if Senator Thorpe has broken the law. The Australian Human Rights Commission might also consider examining the footage for possible breaches of Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. I think the people subjected to her abuse on the weekend should come forward and see that she is held accountable because the Senate has shown that it is too gutless to do so. Indeed, this is a chance to show that these terrible hate speech laws do apply equally to all and aren't purely just a politically motivated tool for the left to bash conservatives with every now and again. Another surprising angle to this story, or maybe not so surprising I should say, is that the ABC totally ignored the story. They didn't run it at all. Now, if you don't think that there isn't some deep political and cultural bias in that place, you've got rocks in your head. Why do we all have to pay for it? Anyway, I digress. Thorpe is now in the absurd position of being banned for life from a strip club, but able to sit in the Australian Senate. How amusing, but it isn't funny. She was elected as a Green and put there as a candidate to be elected by that charming political party. Now she's in there, she quits the party and she becomes an independent, so she's not accountable to the party or its rules. Shouldn't we, the people, get to decide? There's another deeper question here about the Senate itself. Perhaps instead of a referendum on setting up yet another chamber in our parliamentary system, we should maybe have a referendum to fix the one we've got. What Indigenous Affairs activists perhaps don't realise is that there is a limit to the generosity of Australians of all races who don't believe that this is a racist country, who don't believe that just because their ancestors were here first that the many descendants of Aboriginal people should have special rights and privileges, and who don't think that because Aboriginal Australians' ancestors were treated badly, that that makes them very much different from many of other Australians' ancestors from other countries. You know, we already have taxpayer spending at a level of around 1.5 to two times per capita on Aboriginal people compared to non-Aboriginal people. A racist country doesn't do that. 
And as Alan Jones articulated brilliantly on this channel earlier this week, ordinary Aussies are not racists, Lydia. They're kind and good-hearted and fully hopeful that the problems plaguing Aboriginal communities can be fixed. And they're willing to help and pay a little more tax for that. But they're getting just a bit sick of still being called racists. I think most Australians are fed up with having these allegations hurled at them. Kevin Rudd offered a legitimate and articulate apology. Not enough. We've had 56 years of continued and concerted government action to address Indigenous disadvantage. Not enough. Taxpayers now provide over $39 billion a year on Indigenous programs, more than is spent on Medicare. Not enough. As a result of government actions and High Court decisions, Indigenous Australians have some form of rights over more than 40% of the land in Australia. And if you've got rights over that land, those Indigenous Australians receive hundreds of millions of dollars in mining royalties each year. Not enough. As Scott Hargraves from the IPA has pointed out, those royalties are more than $230 million in the Northern Territory alone. Not enough. Scott Hargraves, the Executive Director of the Institute of Public Affairs, has written, and I quote, in 2020, there were 3,000, there is on your screen, look at it, 3,273 registered Aboriginal corporations delivering health and other services and making representations to government. More than 1,000 bureaucrats work in the National Indigenous Australians Agency. Not enough. You can catch Alan Jones every Tuesday and Wednesday nights at 8pm right here on ADH TV. Compare Senator Thorpe's behaviour to another Senator of Indigenous heritage, Senator Jacinta Price from the Northern Territory, the lady whose maiden speech to Parliament we showed you some of last week on the show. Senator Price was named this week as the opposition's new Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians in Peter Dutton's front bench reshuffle. Jacinta Price is also the spokeswoman for one of the no campaign groups for the Voice to Parliament referendum expected sometime late this year. The group, called Fair Australia, is backed by the centre-right lobby group Advance Australia. You can check out the campaign at fairaustralia.com.au. Here's a sneak preview. You are Jacinta Price. I was born in Darwin in the Northern Territory. I have crocodile dreaming from the top end, but I grew up in Alice Springs. My family are Warlpuri, predominantly from the community of Yundamu, where my mum's from. My dad is from Newcastle, New South Wales. He's a white fella. And um, it's, it's interesting growing up in a household with two different cultures, but recognising what we have in common was always really important for us as a family. And while I might be growing up with Warpri culture and modern Australian culture, I belong to this world, just like all other human beings belong to this world, like all other Australians belong to Australia. That's the start of a mini documentary on Jacinta's story on the Fair Australia website. And this is the trailer launched this week. I'm obliged to fight for some of our most vulnerable people, those that are in remote communities, those whose first language is not English. That is what I have done and that is what I will continue to do to improve the lives of some of our most marginalised Australians. Later this year, they want to establish a so-called voice to parliament. This is a really big deal. The constitution is the rule book for governing the country and they want the rules to change. This will divide us. I love my family. And a line going through my family, I won't, won't stand for that. I don't want to see my family divided along the lines of race because we are a family of human beings. And that's the bottom line. Authorised by Matthew Sheehan, Advance Australia, Canberra. There really is no difference between Jacinta Price and Lydia Thorpe, is there? Wait for the big attack on Jacinta's character, though, from the Yes campaign. It's coming. 
Good luck with that one, guys. She's an amazing woman of impeccable character with a track record of dealing with the real problems facing Indigenous Aussies and criticising the wasteful bureaucracy. Another no campaign also kicked off this week. Warren Mundine's group is called Recognise a Better Way. Here's ABC News reporting on that. The no campaign is asking questions. Have you thought about the referendum? Do you understand what's really at stake? Launching a new ad campaign in parts of the country, it thinks can be convinced to vote no. Even the yes voters are very soft, so we're, uh, and a lot of people ha are not fully convinced. There was also a launch of sorts for the yes campaign. Former Sydney Federal Liberal MP and ultramarathon athlete Pat Farmer has won the praise of the Labor government for his effort to run around the nation in support of the yes vote. Mr Farmer set off on his run from Hobart at a launch attended by the Prime Minister and the Minister for Indigenous Australians, Linda Burney. Here's how the ABC reported it. Former Liberal MP Pat Farmer setting off from Hobart on a journey around the country to campaign for a yes vote. Now we're up and running. The very thought of what you're about to do makes my knees hurt. In running uh, some 14,000 plus kilometres around this great nation over six months, he is showing his commitment to reconciliation. ABC News there. You can reach out to us at any time at The Other Side by emailing us at info at othersideoz.com. Very simple, just info at othersideoz.com. If you'd like to be added to our mailing list, just say adby or opt-in in the body of your email and we will send you a link to the show uh, every week to remind you that it's on. And don't forget to join us every Tuesday night on ADH, or in fact, anytime on demand, for The Other Side Interviews, our weekly interview show. Uh, this week, we're going to have a fantastic interview for you uh, with a constitutional lawyer who's going to help us deep dive on what the voice will really mean for the Constitution. It's very important because the voice isn't just a change in normal law. When you change the Constitution, it has all sorts of other implications and you want to be fully informed before you vote on that. So please do join us on Tuesday. You can also listen to that interview on most good podcast platforms after Tuesday. Now, this show, our news and commentary summary show, drops every Friday night at 8 and our interview show, as I said, every Tuesday night at 6. Last week on the interview show, my guest was Campbell Newman, the former Liberal National Party Premier of Queensland, discussing the topic of the future of classical liberal and conservative politics in Australia. And in light of the big week that Peter Dutton had with his shadow cabinet reshuffle and the big call from party conservatives on the weekend for a complete policy review, and then the very clear shift to uh, moving a little bit more conservative, a little bit more to the to the, to the right end of centre-right for the Liberal Party, which is a good thing to see. Uh, it really is a, an interesting interview to hear what Campbell had to say. So do make sure you check that one out. Uh, also on demand on the ADH platform under the Other Side Interviews show section. And as I said, this coming Tuesday, a deep dive on the voice referendum with uh, University of Queensland Law School professor and writer James Allen, who some of you will know from being a big writer on the, on the Spectator. So don't miss that this coming Tuesday and streaming this Tuesday at 6pm right here on ADH TV and also on demand. Something very, very significant happened this week in the war in Ukraine and it didn't get as much attention in our media as it should have probably. A whole bunch of classified US documents were allegedly leaked online by a 21-year-old kid from the US Air National Guard. The BBC reports that the documents were initially posted on a small private chat group in December and January, and for a few months the classified documents remained private to that group, but they were publicly leaked last week. The BBC says the most damaging of the documents one document dated March 23, refers to the presence of a small number of Western special forces that are operating inside Ukraine. It didn't specify their activities or location, thankfully. The UK now apparently has the largest contingent of these special forces, 50, followed by Latvia, 17, France, 15, the US, 14, and the Netherlands, 1. Now, as Tucker Carlson from Fox News told his viewers this week, this simple fact alone actually changes a lot. As we speak, American soldiers are fighting Russian soldiers. 
So this is not a regional conflict in Eastern Europe. This is a hot war between the two primary nuclear superpowers on Earth. And Carlson says that because the war hasn't been formally declared, nor authorized by the US Congress, it's actually a violation of US law and is a crime. The second thing we learn from these slides is that despite direct US involvement, Ukraine is in fact losing the war. Seven Ukrainians are being killed for every Russian. Ukrainian air defenses have been utterly degraded. Ukraine is losing. The Biden administration is perfectly aware of this. They're panicked about it, but they have lied about this fact to the public. Just two weeks ago, for example, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin told the U.S. Senate that Russian military power is, quote, waning. In other words, Russia is losing the war. That was a lie. He knew it was when he said it, but he repeated it in congressional testimony. That is a crime. But Lloyd Austin has not been arrested for committing that crime. Instead, the only man who has been taken into custody, or likely ever will be, is a 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman who leaked the slides that showed that Lloyd Austin was lying. He revealed the crimes, therefore he's the criminal. That's how Washington works. Telling the truth is the only real sin. Fox News Tucker Carlson there. He went on to point out that instead of reporting on what the documents revealed and said, the mainstream media spent most of its time focused on slamming the reputation of the young whistleblower. The Washington Post, as you know, reviewed video of this suspect yelling racial and anti-Semitic slurs. Is this a dangerous person? This uh, uh, air guardsman who's now been taken into custody had talked about being a gun enthusiast, had been at gun ranges. He's obviously a member of the military. And he's the big guy in the scene. Somehow he has access to this kind of information and that makes him even larger. A person who thinks they know better than everyone else, they're smarter than everyone else in their view. And that this is a 21-year-old man, he's described as a gun enthusiast, um, feels like in some of these descriptions somebody who's maybe hungry for power. So this 21-year-old Air National Guardsman from Massachusetts is not a whistleblower, CNN explains with the help of the many intelligence agency figures it is now hired as analysts. No, he's not a whistleblower. He's a criminal. Because he is, unlike the people who run our government, quote, hungry for power. That was Tucker Carlson on Fox News on Monday. The BBC reports that other documents in that leak reveal that a dozen new Ukrainian brigades are being prepared for an offensive that could begin within weeks. And they list in great detail the tanks and other weaponry being provided by Ukraine's Western allies. That is detail that definitely shouldn't be leaked and it could cost lives on the battlefield. But there's no doubt that since Western allies like Australia are supporting NATO, there is a need to know if AUKUS partner troops have been deployed on the ground and are directly engaged in conflict with Russian troops. And these leaks show at least 64 have been. But let's take a step back for a second. It's embarrassing for the civilized world that we have a war of this magnitude going on in modern Europe in this day and age. Young men are being killed by the thousands over virtually nothing yet again. Surely by now, given all the layers of bureaucracy that we have in global bodies like the United Nations, we should be able to resolve our differences in a far more adult and civilized manner. The UK, Russia, Ukraine, and our AUKUS partners have been talking up the fight rather than trying to resolve and de-escalate it. It has a lot to do with gas and energy supplies and geopolitical chess games. Shame on all of them for their failure to broker a deal and keep the peace here. Something a little bit lighter. Uh, you'd have to be living under a rock if you missed the great marketing fiasco that involved one of America's most popular beer brands, Bud Light, this past week or so. More on that in a moment. But it's always baffled me why businesses and marketing people and brands think that it's a really good idea to jump on the woke bandwagon. Wokeism is a slang term, okay? It's shortcut for radical Marxist identity politics. Okay, that's a, a known political worldview. It's become very culturally prominent in the West these days. 
And it simply is the idea that we should view the world through a childish lens of race, gender and sexuality all the time. It's about making the Marxist assumption that there's always some kind of oppression going on, even when it isn't. And it's completely absurd in modern Western liberal countries like Australia, because never before in history has a culture had less oppression based on race, gender and sexuality than we do in the Western world today. Anyway, my professional background, my real job, um, and my background was in journalism, public relations and marketing. And I simply don't get the modern obsession with trying to tie your brand to this nutty ideology of permanent victimhood and personal powerlessness. It's not something that a lot of people like. It's something that a very small minority of people do. Most of us do not view our lives through the lens of gender, race or sexuality. And if we do feel any oppression, some of us rise above it. We use it as fuel to do and be better. In any case, I remember a time when advertising was about lifting us up, about associating your product and your brand with positive images and aspiration, good feelings and good times, not lecturing people about how bad they are, like Gillette Razors did to men famously back in 2019. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool. Not cool. Some already are. What? Some already are? That's my favorite line in the whole cliche patronizing condescending ad. Some already are. Like, most men are assholes, but some are already learning to be nice. Yeah. Nah. Sorry, Gillette. And the Australian female marketing executive who pushed this global campaign, yes, she was Australian. Most men are already nice. Most men do not harass women or assault women sexually, and we will not be lumped in with a minority of sleazebags anymore just because of our shared gender, thank you very much. The fact that many women say they have experienced some kind of sexual harassment at work at some time in their working lives is awful. But it does not mean that most men are sexual harassers. If they were, almost every woman and man probably would be experiencing sexual harassment at work every day of their working lives. And herein lies the whole problem with identity politics. Apart from the fact that it has its roots in late 19th century European Marxism, it makes everybody the oppressor if you're of that other gender, race or sexuality. It makes everyone the bad guy. And as somebody who's over 45, male, mixed race but fairly white and straight, I apparently have to carry the sins of every creep out there who shares any one of those characteristics but behaves like a creep. Well folks, that is sexism. That is racism. And that is why we all know deep down in our hearts that this nutjob ideology sweeping Western culture just isn't right. It has some very, something very ugly about it. It's actually designed to get us all hating each other, and it's kind of working. Marx might have been wrong about a heck of a lot of things, but he was right about the fact that nations can be destroyed by sowing internal hate and division, and we have to stop it. Last week on the excellent US new media show, The Rubin Report, host Dave Rubin played an old Gillette ad, which I think really shows how bad things have gotten in the past 30 years, particularly in the way we view men in our society today. This is an ad from Gillette in the 1980s. And note the uh, positive role models and the sort of pleasantness that we could do in a nationwide ad 
in the 80s. You're looking sharp. You're looking good. Like, that was a commercial in the 80s. That feels like it's from another planet. It sure does. And that change that we've seen has got to be having an effect on our young boys. And I don't think it's a good one. The male aspirational archetype of the past wasn't a man who, insult, who assaulted women. It was a white knight, a soldier, a warrior, a strong protector of the good. That is what masculinity is for. And I'm sorry, modern new wave feminists, it is not toxic. But it was real. That's what it was like back in the 80s. The things that you could do, you could surf, you could get a job, you could get married. What else could you do? You could work out back then, run on a beach. You could go to space. You could shot put. That's what we were doing. The point is you could be proud of accomplishing things. You could do things in your life. Generally, it seemed like you could do them better if you were fully shaven. I would have struggled a little bit, but, you know, keeping it tight where I can. And they put money in advertising to show people to be proud, to show people you can accomplish things. Uh, you can build a family. You can find someone that loves you. You can have kids. It's so counter to what is being pushed on us all the time now. Yes. Now, we've given a bit of a plug for Gillette there. They've got a fair bit of advertising. So I just want to say, shik, 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 shik. And I haven't bought any Gillette razors since 2019. Thank you. Now, Dave went on to show the infamous latest marketing effort from Budweiser Beer, a brand that spent millions over the years creating a masculine image. Now, they're running a social media campaign featuring the American trans activist Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney is the woman, right, like the trans woman who is in all these videos who Joe Biden brought to the White House and celebrated his or her trans whatever. Okay, fine. But she, he is now the new spokesman for Bud Light. I don't know what Brock just came up with, but he's cracking up over there. So I'm going to find out as we play this for you. This is Dylan Mulvaney, new Bud Light spokesperson. Hi, impressive carrying skills, right? I got some Bud Lights for us. So I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Check out my Instagram story to see how you can enjoy March Madness with Bud Light and maybe win some money too. Love ya. Cheers. Go team. Whatever team you love, I love too. Okay. Love ya. Okay, break a leg. All right, so let's let's put aside that there obviously is some level of satire there and he or she is trying to be funny and whatever. The point is, what is Bud Light doing by sending him or her beer and putting her face or his face on this thing and everything else? Does that sell any beer? Does it? Well, apparently not. It was a disaster for Bud Light. Now, I think we have finally, finally hit a tipping point. The radical left groups, and we have them in Australia, they attack advertisers and prevent them sponsoring shows like our very own Alan Jones when he was back on 2GB or Sky News. They'll call up and say, you back down on your point of view or we'll call your advertisers. They then call the advertisers and like a bunch of wimps, the advertisers cave in, forgetting that half the country agrees with the other side, but just don't go around calling and threatening people like the radical left do. And that's the mistake that these marketing executives and their C-suite bosses make time and time again. Finally, 
It looks like they may have got the message, finally. The backlash on the Bud Light thing was so bad that now the marketing bobbins are trying to win over conservatives. <laughs> the smartest take on that angle this week came from the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh. There's nothing unusual about watching a major corporation fumble around hilariously in an increasingly desperate and self-defeating effort to handle a PR crisis of their own making. We've witnessed scenes of this sort many times in the past, but what makes the current drama with Bud Light so unique and perhaps really unprecedented in recent times is that in this case, the corporation is clumsily flailing around in the hopes of appeasing conservatives. We are not the group that these companies are usually trying to impress. It's not our outrage that they are normally responding to. But Bud Light's decision to put out a Dylan Mulvaney celebratory can promoting transgenderism and the desecration and appropriation of womanhood has become a tipping point. And things are changing. There's, there's real momentum behind the Bud Light boycott, unlike any other attempted conservative boycott in memory. And that momentum is only growing, even as Bud Light tries to stymie it by uh, doing anything except the one thing that could bring this all to an end, which is to explicitly apologize for pushing gender ideology. Taking sides on the trans debate is business suicide. It's not a cut and dry issue. Traditional social progressives are not united on it. Feminists are divided on whether trans people are appropriating womanhood, womanhood. And the gay and lesbian community isn't all united in support either. So the CEO of Anheuser-Busch put out a statement that was so bad in response that it, was, it looked like it was written by ChatGPT. Whoever the PR firm is, get a new one, guys. Then they put out another ad, one that looks hmm, suspiciously hyper-masculine and conservative in its imagery. Let me tell you a story about a beer rooted in the heart of America, found in a community where a handshake is a sure contract, brewed for those who found opportunity in challenge and hope in tomorrow. Raised by generations, willing to sip Share, risk, remember. This is a story bigger than beer. This is the story of the American spirit. Oh man, that is hilarious. I really wish marketing and advertising people would leave reputation management and recovery to PR people who are former journalists and issues management experts. It's a bit of a pet peeve of mine. But what, what's cool about this Bud Light fiasco is the VP of marketing behind it did an interview about her marketing strategy. The YouTuber Leon Lush had a pretty good take on, this, on his channel. I'm a businesswoman. I had a really clear job to do when yeah. I took over Bud Light. And it was, this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. It is still the number one brew in the US by market share, if I'm not mistaken, but I digress. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like, mm -hmm. we need to evolve and elevate, evolve and elevate this baby. incredibly iconic brand. And my, what I brought to that was a belief in, okay, what, is, what, do, what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the <sighs> tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men. A little buzzword salad there. And representation there. is at sort of the heart of evolution. You've got to see people who reflect you in the work. And we had this hangover. I mean, Bud Light had been kind of a brand of fratty, kind of out of touch humor and- Out of touch humor? <laughs> Excuse me. That's YouTuber Leon Lush having some fun with Bud Light. Now, just to be clear, if you're Australian, we need to give you a serious beer quality warning. Drinking Bud Light is like drinking Perrier water. Maybe Dylan Mulvaney is the right celebrity spokesperson after all. This week, one of the biggest coal-fired power stations in Australia was shut down. Hooray. AGL had delayed the closure of the Liddell power station in the Hunter region for a year, but it was lights out for the old plant which had reached the end of its technical life, according to its owners. 
New South Wales will now buy power from Queensland and Victoria to serve the 8 million households who got their power from Liddell, which represented, ah, oh, you know, nothing, just about 10% of all New South Wales power. This latest closure of a coal-fired power plant follows the shutdown of the Hazelwood power station in Victoria a few years ago. That caused a power price surge in that state. Not much of a price surge, just uh, I think it was 80 to 100%. No biggie. Who saw that coming, hey? If supply gets cut and demand stays the same, prices go up. It's not like that's uh, in chapter one of every high school economics textbook or anything, but Dan Andrews and his team must have missed it. You see, the problem is that we're not ready with alternative power sources. We've banned nuclear, God knows why. We have the ideal geography and geology for nuclear and plenty of uranium in Australia. So, you know, uh, let's ban it. We can't get new gas plants going as fast as needed. And of course, the Greenies, oh, we hate that fracking. We don't want any fracking. Okay. And our governments have not faced the fact that renewables simply cannot meet the demand that they need to meet of reliable, continuous energy. Just take a look at this, this chart. It shows where your electricity in Australia comes from across a typical day. You'll notice we are still heavily reliant on coal, the brown and black bits there. See how solar, the yellow part, only works when, you know, the sun's out? And wind farms, that's the green bit, need reliable wind, which wind, by its nature, isn't. And that is why we need what is called dispatchable power, power that can stay on whether there's sun or wind or not we have to invest in dispatchable power. And that means more coal, gas, hydro, or nuclear. Take your pick, Adam Bant and friends, but it can't be none of the above, thanks, Eddie. And it might just be smart if we perhaps don't go closing down any more coal-fired power plants until we're absolutely sure that we have enough dispatchable power, especially since we only have 19 of them. I'm, I'm sorry, 18 of them. And China has about, oh, pff, I don't know, 1,118 that we know about. ABC News reports that China approved the construction of another 106 gigawatts of coal-fired power capacity this year. That's the equivalent of two large coal power plants every week. And it's China's highest increase in seven years. Excellent. Well... I'm sure by shooting ourselves in the foot, closing down our awful polluting coal power stations in Australia, that we're really making a difference. So do we blame our pollies for this? A bit, but I don't think so. The poor sods are just responding to what we asked for. I'd take it up with that family member or friend who voted green or teal, or even labor, or that neighbor with the cheesy virtue signaling climate action now sign on their fence or sticker on their gas-guzzling SUV. Darling, we've had cheap power all our lives and have made our millions. Now let's give something back to the poor little people by voting green and teal and doubling their electricity prices. The young ones are all for it. We'll be so popular with the grandkids. Yeah, great. So hold on to your hats, New South Wales. The 2017 closure of the Hazelwood Power Station saw Victoria's power prices double. That was an extra $1.8 billion a year that Victorians had to fork out. And add that to Dan Andrews' ever-increasing debt and Victoria, well, it's um, broke. So let's meet Linda Scott. She's a good councillor for the City of Sydney. She sits on the New South Wales Energy and Environment Minister's meeting group for local governments to keep them all in the loop on energy policy. She appeared on Sky News' Paul Murray show last week and she got into a bit of a spat with National Party Senator Matt Canavan. On the segment, they played an amazing soundbite of the new New South Wales Labor government's energy minister, Penny Sharp, admitting that she has no detail on what the cost of energy will be after the Liddell shutdown. I don't have the direct in terms of, as a result of Liddell, this will cost this. What mm. we do know though, is that prices um, are, are rising and that they're going to continue for a little while. I'm sorry, what? I don't have the direct in terms of as a result of Liddell, this will cost this. This is what happens when the left win government, folks, and Penny Sharp is from the left faction of the New South Wales Labor Party. She doesn't have the costings. We're shutting down a coal-fired power station that supplies 10% of New South Wales electricity, but no, I don't have any costings on that. 
the first thing they should be doing is modeling the cost effect of these shutdowns as we move to net zero so that we do it at the right pace and we don't totally wreck our economy unnecessarily in the process. Energy prices affect the price of everything because everything uses energy to get made and moved and sold and used. But Minister Sharp has no idea. That's just not good enough. Sorry. Now, as I said, Linda Scott is on the Council of the City of Sydney. She's a Labor Party councillor and she describes herself on her website as a progressive leader. Okay? She told Paul Murray that she's very involved in energy policy in New South Wales. I sit on the um, Energy and Environment Minister's meeting for the local government, so we all sat in this region pretty recently uh, when we had a different colour of New South Wales government and had quite a bit of discussion about the future energy requirements of the nation. Uh, Here's what's important. There's enormous pressure on the energy requirements, but also on this region. And that's what I think is also not being looked at at all. These mayors have come together in this region of New South Wales. They've called for a discussion about future jobs. It's not just the power station that's closing down. It's the meatworks that are at risk with about 400 additional jobs. This is what needs to happen. I can blame the former Liberal National State Government till the cows come home, but there's no use. That's no answer for these communities communities in New South Wales who need answers about where the future jobs are going to come from. What? What's that got to do with New South Wales energy supply being cut by 10% and the price of everything going up as a result? We need answers all right, Linda. Actual real answers from our politicians like you to the actual questions they're asked. National Party Senator Matt Canavan, thankfully, wasn't having any of it. We this is all gobbledygook. There is enough manufacturing me, to ensure that the land we safe can be rezoned <laughs> and turned into land for jobs instead of just left. There's so many different it's things that can be done rubbish. in this region. It's very hard to disagree with the senator from Queensland. There, it is so soul-crushingly sad that we live in a nation blessed with almost un unmatchable energy resources, yet we are here a few months from winter. Uh, hoping and praying uh, that it doesn't get too cold and the lights stay on. Now, it is probably too late to keep Liddell coal-fired power station open, but I've been calling for months that we should be mothballing it. We should be at least keeping it in a state where it can be brought back online. What angers me the most uh, about people like Linda and others is their seemingly uh, unimpeachable infallibility in their claims. They came to see saying, oh, renewables are the answer, and there's no anyone who suggests there's anything else is a complete moron, despite all of the evidence around the world. Maybe, just maybe, you might be wrong. Good God, no. You can't say that to an inner-city progressive in Australia in 2023, Matt. They're never wrong, you silly man. At least keep Liddell, something like Liddell, in a state where it can be brought back online in case you're wrong. Because if you are wrong, then we'll have no answers. We can't just uh, click our fingers and build a uh, nuclear SMR overnight. We can't uh, bring on gas fields uh, uh, just the next day. Uh, and so why don't we have a backup plan here? Because it's clear that the renewables only plan is failing us and failing us repeatedly. And many, many jobs are on the line here because people are so pig-headed and won't face facts. Right, We've Linda, just you heard the last from the new energy minister saying that there are not reliability concerns. So we've just heard oh, the God. advice. How many times have we heard from the experts saying that? And they're and wrong. They've been wrong time and time again. Tanya I heard the same things before in Hazelwood. In the last 24 hours about the doubling of the number of renewable energy approvals that she's provided as the new energy it's not minister. Matter. So Labor it's not is matter. creating all these jobs at the uh, well, federal the level them. and they're having to do well, that, Matt, because it's not, your Linda, colleagues it's, it's, in we, the it's former National you State read, Government here you in read, New South Wales didn't fix the problem. If you read the Australian Energy Market Operator reports, it doesn't matter how much solar and wind you put in. We have a gap. We have a gap of 8,000 megawatts over the next decade. That's four large coal-fired power stations. This is not, you know, this is really, really serious. Uh, but people like yourself and others that should know better, you say you're on this energy panel, I don't know if you've read that report, but the solar and wind will not fix that gap because it's not reliable power. It's not dispatchable capacity. We need 8,000 megawatts of dispatchable capacity. Where is that going to come from? Uh, it's not going to come from solar and wind. Yeah, let's so let's get real here and start dealing with proper solutions rather than this complete... Get so angry with this bureaucratese uh, that, that, that papers over these issues. Meanwhile, people who work hard and are in factories and should have a future in this country are left by the wayside because you're playing politics. That's National Party Senator Matt Canavan from Queensland on Sky News Australia's Paul Murray live show, telling it like it is.
And that's all we have time for tonight. Thanks for being with us on our new main home here on ADH TV, Australia's leading voice. And do follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Other Side Oz. You can join us every Friday night at 8pm or on demand anytime you like for our weekly wrap of the news in around 40 minutes. And remember our weekly interview show streaming every Tuesday night at 6pm and also on demand. Our first episode of The Other Side Interviews is up. I'm speaking with Campbell Newman about the future of uh, conservative, classical, liberal and libertarian politics in Australia and the future of the Liberal Party itself. And in our second interview show this coming Tuesday, which is Anzac Day, I'll be joined by Professor James Allen from the University of Queensland Law School to discuss the voice in detail. What are the proposals to change the constitution? What impact will it really have in helping Aboriginal Australians, if any? And what are the risks of embedding race into the constitution longer term? We're gonna dive deep precisely because the yes vote are hoping that you do not see the details and you just think this is a, a simple vote on whether or not you know we think racism is a bad thing. Uh, it isn't. It's much, much deeper than that. So please don't miss that interview with Professor James Allen on Tuesday night right here on ADH TV. It's going to be a great one. So The Other Side interviews on demand and streaming every Tuesday night, 6pm. The Other Side Australia week, week we wrap up this show every Friday night at 8. Please support us by telling your friends. Get onto social media and remember our motto, don't just like it, share it. That's the only way that we can uh, beat the system and get the show out there. And please do download the ADH TV app for your friends and relatives on their phones and smart TVs. And we'll catch you next week. Take care.